Good morning. It is Monday, August 10th, 8.31 a.m. I hope y'all had a good week. I know I did. It was a very interesting week. Um, despite the similarity of it to last week, except for there was one strange thing that I just noticed have, has been emerging. We're in the fifth month of lockdown, semi-lockdown, shelter-in-place, whatever you call it. And I, I just, I notice I feel very, very lonely. But even though I'm really lonely, I also don't want to hang out with anyone or see anyone or talk to anyone. <laughs> Isn't that strange? A lot of people have probably wrongly made the assumption in the past that I'm a lonely person just because I'm alone. Um, But that's actually not true. Usually, um, I'm not a type of person who gets bored and feels lonely. I've got too much to do, too many things I want to accomplish and achieve. Um, So yeah, I haven't felt this lonely in a very long time. Um, when I was young, when I was a teenager and stuff, I didn't really have any friends except for my sisters. And if it weren't for my sisters, I probably wouldn't have had any, any friends at all. And that was the most lonely time of my life. Um, I've also been in relationships too, where I feel lonely when I'm around the person like extremely alone and extremely walled off by being in their presence. It's so strange. Fortunately, that's only happened a couple of times, but I did take note and it was painful. This time, (laughs) it's just so strange. It's just a strange feeling. Um, Yeah, I don't want to be around anyone, but I'm also lonely. Any of you guys relate to that out there (laughs) it's just I don't know maybe it's the monotony of my of the engagement that I've had with you know with everybody which everyone is nice and there's nothing wrong with them but it's so strange I think maybe just not being able to do different things or have as many choices probably you know comes down to that like I had been going to the mission bar and standing outside on weekends for the happy hour and meeting up with people but I just couldn't do it this this weekend I just just didn't want to be out I wanted to you know I want to be at a nice cozy spot indoors in a cushy booth drinking a Manhattan with a friend or a date or something and not feeling (sighs) paranoid that someone who walks by on the street is going to give me corona. You know what I mean? Like, I think I just want to hold out for (sighs) those kind of experiences. Better experiences, I think, is part of it. But anyway, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel great, but 
it's, you know, it, it too shall pass, just like the other types of loneliness. Um, pardon the delay in getting this podcast out this morning. <laughs> Thank you to all who listen. I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate your energy as well. Um, this is part three of Portland Been Racist. I am going to focus on the Advocate newspaper that was published out of Portland, Oregon from 1903 to 1936. It was exclusively by black people, for black people. And it was, it served two functions. Um, One, it served the function of a a regular newspaper, you know, births, deaths, marriages, etc. in the black community, of which the population was quite small in Portland. I think maybe, I believe it was 900 black people at the time. Um, it also had the, the double fold of fighting for racial and social justice and exposing and confronting the constant racism and oppression that black people suffered at the time, not only in Portland, Oregon, but also all over the United States. It was founded by Edward D. Kennedy and nine of his, excuse me, co-workers who worked at Hotel Portland in downtown Portland, Oregon. Um, The rest of the nine colleagues eventually just dropped out of the newspaper within a few months because their workload at the hotel as waiters was too much to justify a full-time commitment on top of working a very full-time job. Um, if you've ever worked in, in the restaurant or hospitality business, you know, you know, like what I mean. Um, the workload is insane. I don't know anyone who works in the restaurant or hotel business that only works 40 hours a week. Now, if you take that back to the labor laws and pile that on top of being black, you probably worked seven days a week and you probably worked about 14 or 15 hours a day. Just saying. There really wasn't a lot of time for writing newspapers. But Edward, even though he was still a waiter at Hotel Portland, he managed to do both because his passion for the paper prevailed. So it was the only, it was the second oldest black newspaper, but it was also the longest running. Um, And it would also show employment opportunities It would talk about the lynchings, who was lynched, who lynched them, where they were lynched. It must have been very, very hard to read that and to see that, but also very necessary to know 
because that because it was such a small and tight knit community it was very important to be informed of what was happening to your neighbors because it could very likely happen to you the newspaper the the ante of the newspaper really got upped though by the arrival of Beatrice Beatrice Morrow who married Edward Kennedy in 1912 um, and became Beatrice Kennedy. Beatrice was originally born in Tittig, Texas in 1890 on January 9th. She was the second oldest of 12 children and her first love was music. She loved to sing and she even went to Chicago for a bit to study music with a conductor named David Klippinger. At some point, even though it's not not recorded, but I I can guess how she must have met Edward. He must have been traveling or something to Chicago and they met that in that way or because it was a small community of um of black professionals at the time everyone kind of stuck together and networked very closely so i think it was a mixture of that but they they began they took up a uh correspondence and in 1912 married and Beatrice Morrow became Beatrice Kennedy and moved to Portland Oregon when she moved to Portland she became the associate editor of the advocate it must have been so wonderful to have a partner who could just show up and be there for you and be there with you full time to to just help you in so many ways and also contribute and take your paper to the next level. When you have a good partner, it is such a game changer. You know what I mean? And when you have a partner that doesn't do any work or anything like that, it's like you, it's like you're working twice as hard because you actually are. They create more work for you. So it cuts both ways. Um, but Beatrice was not just a partner. She, she, Her presence and her point of view added way, way, way more to the paper. It, it kind of started to put the associate, I mean, the advocate on the map. Beatrice wrote fearlessly about the racial violence during the early 1920s. And she organized a protest of D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. She had also, um, she was also one of the founding, early founding members of the Portland chapter of the NAACP. Okay, and she was, she was young, all right, when, so she was in her early 30s when she staged that protest, um, just barely 30 actually. So it's, 
so she was doing a lot. She was very, very effective. Uh, her article about the rise of the KKK brought the attention of Ben W. Olcott, the Republican governor, which at the time, Republicans were good and Democrats were bad. Now, I know that there's many of you who will say they're all, they're all evil and they all suck, and part of that's true. Stay with me. It's politics. Democrats are now considered to be more liberal, okay? And Republicans are considered to be far more conservative. So in the 20s, it was the other way around. Um, ben W. Olcott, he read the article in The Advocate, and yeah, he denounced and decried the actions of the KKK from his much larger platform that had far more reach. And that was thanks to Beatrice's work uh, with the advocate and with the NAACP. Um, just a little dip into the the pool of of Ben W. Then we'll then we'll dip back over to Beatrice, um, Beatrice's world. But he came he came into office in 1919 originally uh, when the previous governor had died after only two months in office. He was sworn in and he was passionate about protecting forest land around the state highways. But he was also passionate about keeping Japanese people from settling in Oregon. (laughs) You know, it's like you do one good thing, then you do a bad thing. Um, But one good thing he did was he stood up against the Klan. The Klan was the money and power machine of the 1920s. It fueled everything. They gave money to your church. They gave money to your president. They could give money to you if you were white. (laughs) Um, He refused their endorsement. They offer, they'd offer money to everybody, Republican or Democrat. He refused their endorsement. And that was a big, big deal because he had to basically fund his own campaign. And he ended up losing in 1922 for the second term. Uh, he ended up losing to Walter M. Pierce, who basically won with Klan money. He, and he also won 57% of the vote. Um, Pierce was a racist and eugenics supporter. Okay, so he also supported uh, birth control, which I support that. But the birth control movement of the 1920s, Sanger's movement, was grounded in eugenics. Okay, he was also a prohibitionist. And he also supported the Mandatory Compulsory School Act. So that is who ended up being the the next governor. So we have a mildly racist governor who stood up against the Klan. And then we have a overtly racist governor who shit all over everything and pooped his butt out. So uh, no respect to that fool. Um, But I, I do want to bring it back to Beatrice now because I think that is just... 
you know, we have things now like GoFundMe and Change.org and all these different, you know, platforms for receiving and giving information and advocating and raising money. And we can, you know, anyone can, can, um, has the capacity to do that. Um, of course it requires, you know, skill and marketing and talent. Um, but you have, we all have more chances now to, to get attention and be visible. When you are one of the few voices of a very small but also underserved and discriminated against population, and there's no radio, there's no TV, there's no computer, and your paper probably doesn't have the largest circulation in your state of out of all the other papers. And the other papers pretty much are biased against what your paper has to say. It's so incredible. It's a, it's a much larger accomplishment to get the attention of higher ups. I just, I'm, I'm in awe of that ability. And it also shows it can be done. It's not impossible, and it's very difficult, but it can be done. And, you know, there was a lot, there was so much more to fight against with the Klan's presence. We're living in a, in a neo-fascist state right now. We are living under the cockamamie rulership of someone who has been supported by racist money to get where he is now. And fascist, fascist funding. Okay, so history is repeating itself. And here's the thing. Olcott, the governor, he did not win his second election. He was not perfect. I think he should have definitely allowed Japanese people to settle wherever they wanted because that's in violation of the 14th Amendment. But he's remembered for standing up against the Klan. And the other governor... Pierce is lumped in with all the other pigs in the parlor. How we go down in history, even if we go down on a on something that a sinking ship that is being shot at, if we are being taken down and what we're standing for is the right way, anti-racism, human rights, freedom for all people, liberation and advocacy of the children in cages. Human rights and dignity for black trans women. If we go down on 
and we are, and that is the hill we die on, that's okay. That's an okay place to be in. Winning in this lifetime as a person, like in your lifetime and being the person who wins. And then when you die and your legacy leaves and you become a part of history. And even though you won, but you won as a bigot and a racist and a fascist, what did you win? If you lose, but every fiber of your being said all power to the people, and you stood up for love and humanity and equality, then you will win. You are the winner. Anyway, it's just, it's something, it's something that we should remember that popularity, popularity in your, in your lived lifetime, it doesn't really amount to much because everyone loses popularity and it causes, you know, we should examine our motives for where we, we stand and to remember to not give up. Do not give up fighting for black lives. Do not give up fighting for the rights of children in cages. Even if it's not trending anymore. Because the reality is it's still happening. It's still happening. It's been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it was happening in Portland. You can make a difference. You can make a difference if, even if you only have one small platform. Do what you can do. Well, pretty much the advocate kind of was, well, Beatrice was kind of the heart and soul of the advocate paper. And in 1930, she divorced Edward Kennedy. And shortly after, she went and married one of the typists, I believe, yes, Yancey Jerome Franklin. He was one of the typists of The Advocate. But I think he was kind of a rebound situation. They divorced in 1936. Um, and she also had two children, George and Ivan, with Edward. And then in 1938, Beatrice left 
Oregon for good, and she settled in L.A. She continued her work. There's so many more things that Beatrice did, so many firsts. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like her multitasking skills and her ability to keep her eyes on the prize pretty pretty remarkable and her tenacity really just got her where she needed to go um she graduated so she'd been married to edward for about 10 years i'm backing up a little bit pardon this um she also graduated from the Northwestern College of Law in 1922. So she was the first black woman to graduate from law school in Oregon and also the first black woman to practice law in Oregon. And she used used that power to um, integrate public schools in Longview, Washington and Veronia, Oregon. So she was constantly working, constantly advocating. And that may be part of why people looked for her in the paper and noticed and acknowledged her her voice. Um, I feel that it's it's very inspiring, and I wish I knew more about her. I feel like we all have a, have the potential to accomplish a lot. And we should encourage each other to accomplish a lot. I've been seeing a lot of forgetting about black lives this past few these past few weeks, forgetting about black lives, forgetting about social justice, people dropping the ball left and right on what seemed to be the start of a passionate activism. And I'm not judging anyone at all, but I also noticed that focus has shifted over to a lot of cattiness, inviting, gossip, and it dilutes the effectiveness and the momentum that we all had going. Um, I also noticed that if we if we stop, if we get distracted from the momentum that was going, it's harder to to get back up that hill. So I want to end this on let's all work together and continue to fight for black lives and continue to do everything we can even if it feels like we're losing sometimes, even if it feels like we aren't going to get the funding and we aren't going to get the right president and we aren't going to get a lot of things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I have got to start my day. I've got a ton of shipping, which is a good thing, (laughs) but I've got to get to it. Thank you for listening. Black Lives Still Matter. I'm going to have two more episodes about Portland Ben Racist. And I hope to bring you more history and more black history soon. 
All right, take care. Bye-bye.